0: So today we are doing part two of a series we or a sermon that I did last week, kind of split it into two parts. So if you missed last week, you can go on our website, you can watch it there, you can listen to it there, or if you're into podcasts, you can also go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and catch it there. But we've been looking at this idea of what it looks like to share our faith and what it looks like to on someone to be on the path to faith. We're finishing up a series on the Gospel of John which we call the "bide and go, this picture of what it looks like to live in connection with Jesus and then to share that. And so last week and this week, we're talking a lot more, focusing on some just really practical ideas of how do we share our faith with other people? What does it look like to tell other people and invite other people into this incredible good news? And so we read these two passages, we read them last week, and they kind of connect these stories. The first is that picture that Jesus gives of how he was sent into the world just as he was sent, sent by the love of God into the world, and then to bring other people into that love, so we're sent into the world. And then this parable that Jesus tells of the seed, where a farmer goes out and plants a seed, but he doesn't really know how it grows, and I can sympathize with the farmer, because I don't have any idea how things grow either. Just like you put a seed in the ground, all of a sudden it's there, right? It grows up over time. And so it's this picture of even what faith looks like. And so a lot of what I'm sharing here Really, last week and this week comes from two sources. One is a book called I Once Was Lost by uh, Don Everett and Doug Shelp, And then the other is from InterVarsity. Doug and Don both work for InterVarsity, but a lot of things. And so what they did was they looked at how people come to faith, particularly people in younger generations. So what we often refer to as Gen Z and how people come to faith in this path. And they discerned that there were kind of five phases that people typically go through. These five different thresholds, they call them, because there's these points where, like a threshold of door, where people step over into this new phase of faith. And so they looked at these and they evaluated them. They said, these are kind of the basic steps. Does everybody follow the exact same path? No. But just as in the parable where there's this mystery to it, because every person's journey to faith is a little bit of mystery. And that was at the end of it. You heard, like, the farmer knows. And, like, at the end, he's like... It grows, but he doesn't know how. And so there's a mystery. But there's also an organic process to it. When a seed grows and it grows up a little bit, and then it gets a little bigger, it doesn't go from seed to fruit. There are phases to it. There are steps that go along. And in the same way, the journey to faith kind of follows these discernible kind of things that are going on. And so realistically, what I did last week and this week probably could be broken into five sessions of about an hour each and so we're kind of condensing that down and as you leave here if you're thinking well this was a whole lot of information to take by the sound booth there's a little box there and it's got sheets that summarize these five thresholds of faith and just quick summaries of it it's helpful to take notes some of you it's helpful to take something written home i didn't want you to have it here because otherwise you look ahead and have two minutes into the sermon you're done It's like i know what he's gonna say (laughs) so we're holding it back it's in the back there um So there's this picture of that. And so I want to just briefly highlight what we did last week and then get into these last three thresholds of faith and what this looks like. Because again, purpose of this is saying we have been sent by Jesus into the world to share the good news with people. With our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates. And to say, how can we share this love of God? How can we help them along this journey? It's not about... Arguing someone into the kingdom. It's not about convincing someone, but recognizing in some sense how we can be maybe a tour guide or maybe a helper along the way. And so part of it's looking, so how can we help them take that next step of what it looks like? So last week we talked about one of the thresholds was from distrust to trust. And so one of the first things people need to know when they're dealing with a Christian is that they can trust you. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a very high opinion of Christians. And so one of the things that we do is, like Jesus, and it says in the Gospel of John, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled among us. So part of it is just to be with people. And then to find ways to respond to them in kingdom ways. The second thing we talked about last week was this indifferent to curious. So after someone begins to trust you, then they move to this stage of curious where they're starting to ask questions. First, they're indifferent. They're like, I don't care. And now they're moving to a state of curious. And here, the value of asking questions. You know, asking questions of people and kind of getting them, because as you ask questions, you invite them also to be curious. And so then the next three phases are, or thresholds are closed to open, wandering to seeking, ambivalent to following. So the first one is closed to open. So someone has gone from starting to trust you Then they're curious, but the next thing, and this is probably the hardest of the phases, from going from closed to open, being closed off to the faith, to being open to the idea of it. And one of the reasons it's the hardest is because it's the one that probably involves some of the most significant change. And as we know, change is hard. Change is hard. And this change is particularly hard because when you are inviting someone into the life of following Jesus, there's a whole lot of change that needs to take place. They need to, someone who follows Jesus has to reorient their whole life. They have to reorient what sometimes people call a worldview, how they see the world. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark where this rich young man comes to Jesus He says, well, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, what have you done? And he he says, well, I followed all the commands and I do all these things. And Jesus says, well, good. He says, now I want you to do one more thing. I want you to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the young man says, "Uh, let me think about that. Because why? Because Jesus, when we're invited to follow Jesus, it's not just a add-on to the rest of our life. It's not just an extracurricular activity. It's not just something that's a hobby on the side. Following Jesus involves a complete change in our life. It involves a complete dedication to Jesus. It involves changing the way we see the world and how we act in the world. So we have to realize that to get someone from that closed to open to consider this, they have to change everything about the way they see the world. And so one of the things we need to do is be patient in this phase because this is one of the hardest. And one of the things we recognize is that we do this in different ways. And so that's why I said it's organic. It'd be nice, sometimes I always want to go and I've been to, I don't know, half dozen different conferences on evangelism. I've been through workshops. I've read numerous books on it. And I keep looking for like, what's the secret What's the one thing I've got to do? Well, there's no one thing. And there's no one thing because each and every person is different. For each and every one of you who's made that decision to follow Jesus, it looked a little bit different. And what nudged you and made you change was a little bit different. Even considering Jesus. So in the Gospel of John, chapters three, four, and five, Jesus encounters three different people. Nicodemus in chapter three, this woman at the well in chapter four, and then this paralytic man by the pool in chapter 5. And he invites them all to change. He deals with them very differently. So just a quick reminder. So Nicodemus is this religious leader. He comes to Jesus and he starts asking him questions. And Jesus, at one point, is kind of like, seriously? You're a teacher of the faith and you don't get this? And so sometimes that's what we need to do with people to move them from closed to open. Is We need to be willing to kind of poke them a little bit. And to say, well, so let me get this straight. You, underst- you have an idea of how life works. You have a way to see the world. You have a way that you're walking through the world. Well, Let me ask you, how's that working for you? Because that may be the question we need to ask someone. To push them a little bit. Say, well, it's the way you're living right now really working for you? That may not be the right question for everybody But sometimes we need to be willing to be A little bit antagonistic A little bit abrasive But on the other hand we've got the woman At the well John chapter 4 he comes And Jesus has this conversation with her But it's a little bit different It's very non-judgmental But he's truthful And So maybe that's an approach we take With somebody Non-judgmental is a key part of it But being truthful and say well Maybe you would say something like this. Well, in my experience, we all wear masks. Most everyone puts on a mask to try and hide their true self. But what I found is when I come to God, I can take off my mask and he still loves me for who I am. And so then you ask the person, well, when you're honest, where could you use God's love? And so there's this sense of truthfulness, this sense of non-judgmental. And then we have the man at the pool where Jesus comes to him and the story of the man's laying there and Jesus essentially asks him, do you want to get well? And so maybe what the next step is for somebody who's moving from that closed to open phase is we have to challenge their fears. People are afraid sometimes to take that next step. So one of the things that and ever talk about in their book is this idea of offering up. And here's, it's a little scary for us, maybe a little fearful for us is say, hey, I know you're a little bit afraid about this, but let's pray together for 10 minutes a day for the rest of the week. Let's meet together and let's pray about something that's going on. And I believe that God will show up. Will you try that with me? And so you're inviting them to move from this thing to where they begin to be open to the idea that Jesus is real. Now we're not getting them to give their lives to Jesus yet. Because again, there's these phases and sometimes this is the tendency. We see these things and we sense the urgency. We're going to talk about that. Sometimes we're in such a hurry to get somebody to say yes, to say the prayer, to do whatever, to walk down the aisle, whatever it looks like for us, that we forget that they may not be ready for that. But what we're doing is helping them take a step closer. And before they say yes to Jesus, they have to be open to the idea of changing. Because if you have not been following Jesus all your life, if you haven't given your faith to him, to truly follow Jesus, it involves a whole change. It involves a whole way of looking at life. So maybe you could tell stories of change. Or maybe you simply ask them, well, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? What keeps you from change? So that's the next step is closed to open. Then we go from wandering to seeking. So these are, so this is, they're starting seeking. They're beginning to explore the option to focus on Jesus. So a seeker is someone who's purposely seeking answers and really looking for answers. And so back in the late 90s or more like early 90s, Late 80s, early 90s, there was something called the seeker movement in church. Some of you may have it. And the term seeker was broadly used to basically refer to anyone who's not a Christian. Here we're using seeker a little more precisely. And this is someone who's moved to that phase where they're like, okay, they're open to the idea of change. Now they're really starting to investigate. They're really starting to search it out. Something about this phase is it usually doesn't last real long. And the reason is because seeking and asking questions is hard. And it can get tiring. So there's this sense where they're ready to figure out this bird. They're curious and they want questions answered. So we have to be in prayer for them. We have to help them wrestle with tough questions because as people enter into this phase, oftentimes they are really struggling with those tough questions. But one of the things we need to do is be able to look say, what's the question behind the question? Because sometimes we have those things where we're all afraid. Well, what if they ask me about these things? I mean, they're the common things that people think, well, what about suffering in the world, right? If there's a good God and there's suffering in the world, or what about people who've never heard of the gospel? But oftentimes, there's something behind that question, and oftentimes, it's a personal story. And so maybe it's saying, maybe there's some suffering in their life. Now, sometimes, the question can simply be a way to deflect. Sometimes, someone asking a question, they're, just, they're not quite ready, and so they're using a the question to feel like, but so what we want to do is that they're asking these questions is look at their life and be specific. Say, well, we ask about suffering and maybe talk about suffering in your own life. Because when we answer questions for people, oftentimes we need to be more grounded in something that's real to their life. I mean, we can talk about what theologians call theodicy. An explanation of you know, a good God and suffering in the world. And, and we can keep it way up here and use lots of big words and talk about it in the abstract. But what if we tell a story instead about, here's a time I went through some hard challenges. And here's how God helped me. And so sometimes we think, well, I've never really suffered. Not, not as bad as other people. And we have to get away from that. Because suffering, grieving, and loss is real for everybody. And it's not a matter of comparing it to someone else's. Because whatever loss you have suffered is still a loss. And there's a temptation. And I've done it before and I see people do it all the time. Well, it's bad. But there's a lot of other people who have it worse. Maybe but that doesn't negate or wipe away the true loss we have suffered the the mourning the suffering and so when someone asks the question maybe you get into that and this is the point where maybe you invite them to study the bible with you again you think well, but but I, I don't have theological training i'm not a pastor again studying bible together is just read read a story together and i would encourage you if you're Reading with someone who's on that path, who's in this stage of seeking, read the stories about Jesus. So go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Don't go to Romans and try and analyze all of Paul's arguments, or 1 Corinthians, or Romans, or you know, go back and read Genesis, or the stories, and don't take them to Leviticus. But sit, <laughs> go to a story about Jesus, because what are we trying to do? We're trying to get people to fall in love with Jesus. So take them to these stories and read them and say, what do do you see? What sort of questions are you asking? And so when someone asks a question, affirm what they're asking. Say, oh, that's a really good question. Because one of the worst things we can do is have somebody say, well, I've got this question about this. Well, what about this? And you say, well, that's a pretty dumb question. Or, well, no, we'll get to that later. Say, no, that's a good question. Let's talk about it. And then try and translate it again. This is the part don't think about it in the abstract, but bring it down to your own life. And then this is key. We can be transparent and say, I've struggled with that too. And go on the journey with them and then invest in a case study. Go along and look at, and see what's going on with the study. And then challenging and saying, okay, well, you answer the question. and Say, well, what about you? What do you think? So you're taking them through this process of doing it. So they've gone now from, they're open to change. This difficult thing. And then they've begun the path of seeking. And then we come to the big one. This point where they go from ambivalent to following. And this one, more than any other, we need to be intentional and we need to be appropriately urgent. We need to be intentional and we need to be appropriately urgent. As we help someone, and when I say help, Reminding ourselves that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing this work inside of someone. It's the Holy Spirit that's changing them. But God is using us and going through us. And so as we think about someone at that stage, one of the things we know about them is they have to make a choice. And so what's our part in that? Help them know how to make the choice. And then what the choice means. If you're asking someone to make a choice to follow Jesus. You ought to be able. To, and you need to be able to say. Well this is how you make that choice. And then here are the consequences. Or what it means to make that choice. So to prepare ourselves. One of the first things we do is. Be in prayer. And this is why. When we've used the acronym BLESS before. Begin with prayer. In Back in the covenant, the covenants had numerous kind of evangelism programs over the year, bringing my world to Christ. But they all start with that place of prayer. You're praying for yourself because you need God's help to do it. You're praying for the other person. So we're beginning with prayer. And then something you might want to do is practice with somebody. I mean, we do it in everything else. Our worship team comes up here on Sunday morning a little hint. They've sung that song before. They've been here on Tuesday night for an hour, hour and a half practicing. And then they come on Sunday morning and they practice again. So when it comes time to sing, they can do that. People who play sports. They don't just walk out in the field and say, Well, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna play baseball today. They practiced. Your doctor, hopefully, has practiced. <laughs> when you go in the surgery, he's like, hey, I've never done this before, but I'm going to give it a whirl, see how it goes. <laughs> so what we might want to do is practice helping someone know how to follow Jesus. If you're going to practice, though, don't practice with somebody who's never followed Jesus. Practice with somebody who has. Sit down with a friend. Sit down with somebody in your Bible study group. Sit down with somebody and say, hey, I really want to help people know what it looks like to follow Jesus. Could I practice on you? And then practice helping someone know what it looks like to follow Jesus. How to make that decision what it looks like. And then be open when the other person says, well, that was okay, but I lost you two and a half hours ago. Or... Could you make that a little bit more clear? Or or maybe they say, that was a really good story. That was helpful. So practice with somebody. Read through the Bible. Again, go through the Gospels and read some of these passages about lostness and about salvation. I mean, even some of those ones we may not think of. Jesus tells these simple parables. One parable is a man who goes out into a field and he's digging in the field and he finds a treasure. What does he do? He goes back and he sells everything he has so he can buy the field. That's a parable about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And you tell this story because maybe that's part of how you're sharing with somebody what it means to follow Jesus is to give everything up. It's also a picture of this is how valuable Jesus is that you will give everything up to follow him. So some of it is be appropriately urgent. Some conversation starters, some suggestions you might want to learn is simply say, You seem interested. Can we talk? Or maybe like, hey, I'd like to tell you my story of how I began to follow Jesus. Would you be willing to listen to that? Or if you want to get into the more bold question, you might say something like, well, is there anything standing in the way of you following Jesus? Or maybe the question, and you could almost use this in any of those thresholds, is, What's keeping you from taking the next step? Because sometimes people just need to be pushed They're like, okay, well, you've heard me talk about Jesus. We've talked about it. You've heard all the stories. We've answered your questions. So what's holding you back? Because then what you can do is you can begin to look at that part of the story and say, okay. I mean, when they answer and say, well, this is, this is the thing that's holding me back. Now you know where to focus. Now you know what you begin to talk about. And so maybe that question is simply like, well, what's holding you back? Because sometimes people just need that little nudge, that little per- And maybe the question is, would you like to make that decision now? And so as we get ready to tell the story, one of the things we want to do is we want to be clear, but not oversimplify. And that's hard, isn't it? We want people to understand the story of Jesus, but we don't want to oversimplify what it is either. We don't want to say, well, simply like, well, you follow Jesus and God gives you a little barcode. So when you get to heaven, you get scanned and you're good and you're in. You know, like, or it's not like, well, there's a good place and there's a bad place. Follow Jesus, go to the good place. Don't you go to the bad place. That's part of the story, but it's not all of the story. And so we need to summarize what Jesus is all about. And we need to find different ways to tell the story. Probably the hardest thing for many Christians is we're Christians. By that I mean, if you've been following Jesus for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, we all develop a language, a way we talk. And we don't always understand what that exactly means. So a number of years ago, when we lived in Sheboygan, um, a couple of my kids went to a Bible study or a vacation Bible school at another church. And I got a call from the youth pastor there. He's like, oh, this is so great. Carlina asked Jesus into her heart. I was like, nah, she did that a couple of years ago. No, no, she said she did it today. It's like, I'm not picking on her. Carly like, you're picking on me. I'm picking on her. The thing was, we used different language to explain this to her. It was language of Jesus being her best friend and trusting Jesus and following Jesus. She didn't have that language. And so she's like, oh, this is something new. It wasn't something new. It was just different language. And so sometimes it's for us it's finding the right language for somebody, and sometimes you talk to somebody and find that language, but again that language, ask Jesus into your heart. What I don't know what that means, or like, do you want to be washed in the blood? People are like, nope, no thanks. Because there's a fountain flowing and it's deep and what? No. Do you want to be justified, sanctified? No. And so it's finding, again, that Christian language, but it's also recognizing that language that fits with different individuals and finding there's different ways to tell the story. There's different ways to tell this story. And so I've grown, I'm, like I said, I've been to numerous evangelism workshops and someone will give you seven different ways to share the gospel. What I would encourage you to do is learn a couple different ways to do it. And some of you might be familiar, like the Romans road, you know, these four verses from Romans or the ABCs or different metaphors you can use. A popular one was the bridge one. There, there's lots of different ones, but there's other newer ones. Uh, James Chung, who works with InterVarsity, talks about the real story. And he's got this great thing with these four circles and we're not going to take the time to go through it, but that's another, I think, a, a better way, a way I like to share the story of Jesus. But find different ways to share the story of Jesus and what it looks like. And make sure you're incorporating all of that. How do you make the decision and what's the consequences of it? And what does it look like to follow Jesus? Again, this is that point where if we were doing multiple sessions of doing this, we could walk through some of those and think about, here's different ways to explain what it means to follow Jesus. So like I said, I often use that picture that James Chong and basically... His picture of this story is these four stories of saying, the world, inviting someone to say, do you ever look around the world and say, something's not right? People say, yeah. And And then you say, well, but that's not the way the world was made to be. You see, God made a world in which we were designed to live with him and we were designed to live with other people, but we've made our own choices. And as a consequence of that, the world is broken. And not only is the world broken, but our relationship with others is broken and our relationship with God is broken by that. And we can't fix that on our own. But God sent Jesus to show us what it looks like and also to break the power that holds us. And so Jesus died for us and then God raised him to be the one who rules over. And so to follow Jesus means to give our life to him, to submit to him and to listen to him and as we do that, we have life and life eternal, and we begin to live into that. And that's even a slightly shortened version of it. But it's a different way to tell the story. Another is you might just simply use a metaphor of, of the consequences. I, a new one I just saw this week, which was kind of interesting, was kind of the metaphor of a wedding. And the point behind this was thinking about the consequences of following that, that, that second half of not, not how you follow Jesus, but what it means to follow Jesus. And so the metaphor of the wedding is when two people get married, they make vows to one another. So typically something like what? To love and to honor and to cherish. you know, Sickness and health for richer, for poorer, for good. Till death do us part. And what I've often told couples when I'm counseling them or even at the marriage is like, You're saying yes at this moment, but you're saying yes, and it's one of the bravest things you can do because you don't know what the future holds. You're making a pledge, and in the same way following Jesus, it looks in some ways the same thing because the decision to say yes to follow Jesus means listening to him the rest of your life, but you don't know what he's going to ask you. And so it's this picture of what that looks like. And so we're thinking about this as we're inviting someone to follow Jesus. But again, maybe it's just that what's keeping you? What's keeping you from following Jesus right now? And then help them sort through those roadblocks. And so again, we're a guide along the way. We're, we're that person who works with them and begins to help them begin to trust Christians. And then by telling stories and asking questions, we get them to be curious about Jesus. And then as we continue to pray and as we continue to share these stories with them, we help them to become open to the idea of change. And then we help them become seekers. And finally, we help them become followers. And so there's this process that people are following along and God has invited us to be a process, a part of it. Yeah. We sang the song earlier, it's based on John 3, says, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. So Jesus' love for the world is so much that he sends us and we're sent into the world to invite people into God's love, to experience that incredible love. to be a part of this mysterious and organic process of people following faith. And so as you go on your way this week, what I would encourage you to do is in terms of just maybe a practical step is think about two people in your life. Just two people in your life who don't follow Jesus and then stop and say, like I say grab one of the handouts on your way out and think, where are they on that path to faith? Do they trust me? Well, if they trust you, then maybe it's okay are they curious about things? Are they open to change? Are they truly seeking in their right? Of the or are they just ambivalent? They've, they've, they've got their questions and they just, they're just waiting to take that last step. Think about where they are on that path. And then begin to pray and say, okay, what steps, what things can I do to be a friend to them? What things can I do to be a guide to them to help them take that next step? How can I participate in God's mission? Because that's what we're doing. It's not, it's, not, it's not our mission we're inviting God on. God's inviting us on his mission. We're participating in God's mission. We're abiding in the vine as we're attached to Christ. And so as we're participating in the mission of God, how does God want to use me to help them along the way? Always recognize that there are other people who are involved. It's, it's not all up to you but you're a part of it as you work with the Spirit. So think about two people. Think about where they are. And then pray, God, how can I be a friend to them? How can I be a guide to them to help them take that next step along the threshold? And over time as we do that, we'll see more and more people enter into the kingdom. And I just think of the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 of the the lost, these parables of lostness. A a lost sheep, a lost coin, and lost sons. And one of the great things I remember years ago, I heard uh, Bill Hybels at Willow Creek preach a sermon. He was talking about this. and This great picture of those stories remember there's a shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one and he goes off and he finds it and he comes back and the picture is of this man carrying it and he gathers all his friends and he celebrates it but then at the end of each one of the and then the woman who loses a coin and she furiously sweeps her house and she finds that lost coin and she calls all her friends together and she celebrates but then in each one of those parables at the end it says there will be more rejoicing over in heaven over one sinner who repents and Bill Hybels painted this fantastic picture. He said, he said, when one person takes that final step and enters into the kingdom of God, there's this incredible celebration around the throne of God. They got the banners out. They got the balloons. They got the confetti flying around. And it's saying, welcome, for the lost has been found. And God's inviting us to be a part of that party. Of inviting people to follow jesus to give their life to him to be transformed and changed and to know that when we do it not only brings incredible joy to us but the heavens rejoice the angels in heaven rejoice when one is found and so my hope for us fruitland covenant church is that we're the cause of a lot of angels rejoicing in the coming days and in the coming years. That as we help people along that path, that we see people come to Jesus, and not only will there be rejoicing here, but rejoicing in heaven. Amen.